Welcome to Bill Roden on Sports. Taking you inside clubhouses, locker rooms, and boardrooms, legendary sports columnist Bill Roden gets inside the heads and beneath the veneer of the men and women who play and own the games we love. Hey everyone, uh, this is Bill Roden, Bill Roden uh, and Friends on Sports. And thanks for another, uh, you know, thanks for listening. Have a, yet another great show. I have a really, really, truly, truly uh, wonderful guest. And this is really special. First of all, Jamal, Jamal Murphy, our sports attorney guy and co-host. Glad Hello. to be here, of course. And uh, our guest, Seth, hi. Hey, Bill. <laughs> and uh, our <laughs> guest today, we have a family affair, but our guest today is uh, Ben Watson, who is the tremendous tight end of the New Orleans Saints. Ben, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for hey, having you, you're me. You're Ben or Benjamin? You, you, you. I, I introduced myself as Benjamin, and it, and then then it gets shortened, but it's okay. I'm not offended. Okay, uh, Benjamin. But, but I go by Benjamin. I always say my parents named me Benjamin, so I try to go by Benjamin. There you go. Right. Benjamin Watson. And we have, um, it's really, truly special. We have his wife, Kirsten, Kirsten. who is here, and a, the newest member of his family, uh, Eden. Yep. Eden is three months old. Yes, uh, th- Eden is three months old, and this is your fifth one, right? Yes, your my fifth. fifth. My fifth. We have uh, th- we have a girl, girl, boy, boy, and then another girl, and we think that this is this is it. Huh? But um, well, who knows, right? <laughs> but my wife is looking at me right now. We, we haven't made that decision final. Yeah. Wow, well, we got a basketball team. Already. I do. That's right. Yeah. I do. Because you know my my daughter, who I was just telling you about the, the story of my daughter's twenty five, and so she's been with this same guy for like five years. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, yeah, we talk, Indu said he wants four kids. I'm like, what? You know, I, I'm, <laughs> I mean, it's not me, but I'm like, yeah. I, you know, what did you tell him? <laughs> you know? Well, that, four kids, number one, that's what we wanted. And we got to four so quickly. We got to four. <laughs> we got to four in four and a half years, literally. We had six down to two. And then we're like, ah, I don't know. Are we done? I think we might have room for another one. So we ended up having another baby. But we, we, we talked about four. four. Four is easy. Speaking from somebody that has five. <laughs> I hear you, I hear you. That's right. Now, Jamal, you just said, yeah, you're first, one, right? Yeah. Yeah, so. I don't know if I'll get to four. Yeah, well, You might. You yeah, never yeah. know, exactly. You never know. <laughs> yeah, 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 you're young, yeah. Uh, my question, how did you have time, man? I mean, I, I was thinking, yeah, I was, I'm glad the brother's here, but where yeah. does he have time? Because, number one, you guys just played Sunday. Yes, we did. You just played Sunday. We're going to get yeah. to that at the part three, yeah. at the end of the story. Just play. But... You're here. You're doing. A, you're, you're doing a book tour. Yes. Right. So, how do you have time to do? Do they know you're doing this? Do the Saints know? See you? that girl right there. Yeah. That's why I have time. Uh, she takes care of everything. Uh, of everything. Uh, yeah. Today, this is our bye week. So. Ah. Uh, okay. Yeah. So we're off this week. Um, no, I wouldn't be here if we had a game <laughs> on Sunday. But, but some yeah. things. Are, some yeah. But things. This, this is our bye week, and, and that's why we plan for the for, for the book to come out now because right. you know it's the bye week. We have some time off to to come up here and speak with you guys. And it came out yesterday. Yes, sir. Yeah, congratulations under my skin. Thank you. Yeah. Under our skin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, uh, it's it's really, I mean, number one, it's a fabulous accomplishment. It's a, it's, it's a great accomplishment. And everything is it's so timely because you're one of the, and we'll get to this later, but uh, the book is really, a, 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 a it's, it's essays and stories, really, um, and it's not just sort of the typical, uh, you know, football Book, you know, I, yeah. I played football, but it's really uh, a very thoughtful look at society, at issues, and race. I mean, mm-hmm. you, you really, you really tackle it head on. Yeah. And, and I, I guess one of my first things is, 
how you were inspired because writing a book I don't care whether you're writing it with somebody yeah. or not it's hard yeah it it's is. hard why did you write it uh, how, did, how did you first get the idea to well, write oh yeah well that wasn't my initial thought wasn't I didn't set out wanting to write to write a book but last year uh, we all witnessed the events in Ferguson Missouri yeah. and uh, there was such build up to that that decision and I, like many other people, were watching the news and seeing what was going to happen, had, had, had a whole idea of what I thought should and shouldn't happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we played a Monday night football game that, that day on November 24th, and then they came out with a decision. And I, like everyone else, was glued to the TV, watching the news, seeing all the images, and I had all these emotions about everything from the buildup about, about this decision and so I wrote this Facebook post that, that uh, you know went out and a lot of, it resonated with a lot of people so over the last year I've kind of been expanding on that writing on my own a little bit but also going and speaking at different places um, you know universities uh, schools you know going to churches and different events like that speaking about these topics and so the, the, the thought of the book kind of came from someone else. You know, you should write a book. And then I, I met with publishers, and, and it kind of started happening. So the book is really an expansion of mm-hmm. that Facebook post, you know, talking about not just Ferguson, not just Eric Garner, not just Tamir Rice, not just those things that kind of set this thing in motion. But really it is about um, my life, obviously, that's part of it um, as a black man, but as a father and as a husband and those things but also really challenging all of us when we look at the narrative of race in this country, uh, whether you're black or white, uh, where do we fit in? What are some of our common human issues? And pointing to the fact that in order to solve this thing, we really all need a change of heart, black and white. Yeah, uh, that's sort of my backup question. What do you want this book to, to, um, to, to accomplish? What do you want, you know, uh, do you see it as a song like something that, a mother would give to a son, or parents would give yeah. to the son, just almost to to, to um, carry around, almost like as a manual. Yeah, you know? I, see, I see it as as, and the feedback that I've gotten from a lot of people, my friends who have had the chance to read it, um, even people that I don't know, is that they were forced to look introspectively at some of their own pride, some of their own uh, selfishness and racism, all those things. And this is coming from from blacks. It's coming from whites. You know, everyone is saying, you know what, I, I was challenged um, in how I view the world and understanding that I have propensity to to hate people as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so the, the hope for the book is to promote that type of honest conversation, um, but also to promote uh, change uh, through the change of heart. Because when we realize that we all are in need of forgiveness in different areas, it allows us to look at our brothers and sisters and love them. Um, the way God loves people. Yeah, and even even in in the Facebook post, what struck me is that you you tried to tackle it from all sides. Yes, you know, you obviously you're a black man, but you always, you also looked at you know issues that you know that black people have to take account for themselves also, not yes. just blaming the other side. Yes. So I felt like uh, you really you weren't concentrating on on the black side or the white side. You really yes. tried to tackle all angles. Yes, mm-hmm. because it, it's a you know it's a it's not a two-dimensional issue, mm. you know. At one time, maybe it was, but where we stand now, it is not two-dimensional. Um, we all have a little bit in this, and we all can be challenged in different ways. Um, and so, so the hope again, I said, is is to is to really point people to a solution. You know, it's one thing to talk about it, and that's great. Right. And I do some of that. I talk about some of my, you know, my grandparents' stories, some of my parents' stories, some of my own experiences with 
uh, me and my wife. Um, some, some, I got some stories from the locker room in there mm. talking about these mm. issues, uh, you know, talking about uh, a racial dolezal in the locker room, <laughs> yeah. you know, and those sort of things come up with some of my right. teammates. Of course. Yeah. But, but it's because we're coming from a place of understanding that, you know, my experience may not be your experience, but I'm not going to discount your experience as untrue simply because I didn't experience it. I'm going to be able to sit there and listen to your side. And you know what? Maybe, maybe you're right and maybe I'm wrong. Or maybe that's not. like the uh, Confederate flag issue with your teammate, your your, your um, high school yeah. teammate, yeah. who you walked in and you know you you grew yeah. up in South Carolina, you exactly, uh, but and you walked in, but you could tell just tell that yeah. story because really yeah. I thought it was a very instructive story yeah. about attitudes. Of course, I moved to South Carolina when I was uh, in tenth grade and. And different from Virginia, where you have this in Virginia as well, but the, the, the rebel flag is really a part of the culture. And you know, for a lot of people, they see it as you know a sign of, of, of slavery or of injustice or of prejudice, and, and there's racism tied to it. For some people, they don't see it that way. Um, but the, the, the cool thing, when I told my friend about it who had it flying over his bed, I told him my feelings about it and I don't know exactly what spurred him, I don't know if it was my words, I don't know if he just came to an epiphany on his own, but when I came back, all I fist know fist in his face. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Maybe I'll change this Exactly. Let me take this flag down <laughs> Yeah, when I came back, all I know is he had taken the flag down. Right. Now, it's, it's his right, and I'll say, I'll say this to this day people have a right to fly a confederate flag I'm not mm-hmm. saying that you can't fly it I mean, you have a right to put it on your car or whatever you want to do, wear it on a T-shirt. You have a right to do so. All I'm saying that is that if we, if we love and care about people who, who are our friends, we take their feelings into consideration. Mm-hmm. And sometimes our liberty um, to do something, uh, we, can, we can hold that back a little bit if it's an offense to our brother. And, that, and that's what I experienced through, through that whole thing. And, that's, and that challenges me as well. Mm-hmm. You know, when there's some things that I feel like I'm free to do, uh, but it may be an offense to somebody I care about. Is it beneficial for me to continue on in that manner? Mm-hmm. You know, just just I, here's how I see racism, and I don't see us in this country have a problem with race. Mm-hmm. I see us having problem of, of, of racism because that's the issue. Racism is a artificial construct. Of course, racism is real. Yeah. That's what we that's what we're dealing with. It's what we deal yeah. with. You know, uh, in in my business in journalism, mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. It might be interesting to you. Next next time you go to a football, you know, like walk through the press box. Just walk through the press box uh-huh. and see how many people look like you are in the press box. Yeah. You know, it, it's. I will tell you, it'll be like we, during the World Series when you mm-hmm. walk through the press box yeah. and you see how many people are there who look like you. Yeah. It could be like 1950. Yeah. I mean, in terms of just no black presence. And there's, but yet, when you look at the field, like yeah. NFL, like 70% of the, you know, the yeah. team is black. So mm-hmm. to me, Racism is the problem, not race. And and B, you mentioned uh, everybody's a blame. I, I I've divided racism into blame and uh, responsibility. Mm-hmm. Well, who's to blame? Well, white people are to blame. If you look at the mm-hmm. historical roots of this mm-hmm. stuff and who put the white people are to blame. But the bigger question is, well, whose responsibility is it to dig us out of that? Right. And that's where I come in. Well, as well. as black folks, care it's our responsibility. Mm-hmm. To pull us out of this, to make and I would it, say, and I would say, it's all of our responsibility. Yeah. Right. It, it, it's, right, It's white folks' responsibility. It's black folks' responsibility. Whether right. the if the if the roles were reversed, I would say the exact same thing. Right. right. You know, and, and and because and because the roles could be reversed and have been reversed at other times in history, my point is that this is a human and fundamental flaw that we were born with that makes us. 
prideful and thinks that we are better than other people. Right. You mean, and, it, and it's it, not, and it's not just our skin; it's our sin, and we all are born with this. So we all have the propensity to do these things. It right. just so happened that in our context, in our country, right. it was white people that kidnapped us and brought us over here. Right. Okay, but in another context, it could be black people doing the same thing. Right. It's not that they are inherently any more evil than us, mm-hmm. or we're any, any more good, or vice versa. It is that we 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 have to address the root of the issue. Right. Um, which is a sin in all of our heart, which needs to come from a change from Christ in order for us to view each other and love each other the correct way and relate to each other the correct way. Right, right. Well, there, I mean, not to belabor that issue, but there was, I mean, there, there was slavery in Africa. Yes. You know, uh, it was slightly different. It was slightly different in that, um, just speaking generally, there are ways that you can come out of it. You, you could, you could. Sometimes it was, it was a family thing, or sometimes you could buy your way out of yeah. it. It's like, yeah. What happened? American slavery took it, it, it to a whole another. Yeah, it's a whole other animal. whole another dimension. So, and I like to deal yeah. with it's a whole other animal. where we are now because this is yeah. where we are now, mm-hmm. and, and all. But I, but I think I like the idea of it's our responsibility. Whenever I, whenever I do get into a discussion about blame, I say, well, if you mm-hmm. want to play the blame game, yeah, don't let's not do that because it's yeah. your fault. But yeah. If we're going to deal with... And then and, and, then, and, and then they push back um, and say, well, hold on. That wasn't me. That was that was my grandfather. Yeah, right. That well, was my great-grandfather. Yeah. But don't, and don't, so you end up yeah. going back and forth yeah. and back and forth but, and you don't get anywhere. But don't be the beneficiary. In other words, part of the problem of, of white entitlement uh-huh. is that you're the beneficiary. You can't have it both ways. You can't be the beneficiary of your father, your grandfather, your great-great-great-grandfather. Uh-huh. Then you get to your turn and say, well... It wasn't me. No, you're the yeah. beneficiary of all this. So I'm just saying, let's 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 deal with how do we make this better. But let's not yeah. talk about well, it wasn't me. It was my great grandfather. But the reason why, you know, if you look at Walt, the reason why you've got this tremendous benefit is because of your great great grandfather. Because there, are, you know, you know, so there are rules True. on the book. That so exactly. so so it's a, it's a complicated thing. But uh, let me let me ask you that. Wait, I want to give you the yeah. I mean, if you want. Oh, 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 well, I was going to say in conversations that I've had, right, right. you know, and, and even in the book, we, you know, we, we, I talk about a conversation with yeah. a, with a friend, Chris, and mm-hmm. some of those same things come up. Um, I, I think the, the 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 great thing about these relationships that I have and, mm-hmm. and for my white friends that get it is, OK, yes, I do have a head start on you mm-hmm. because of the color of my skin. Mm-hmm. Right. This is a real thing. I do have a bit of a head start. OK. I acknowledge that. All right. But but, but I can't get mad at him because of the color. I'm just right. as wrong as him. If I get mad at him and point my finger oh, at him and say, man, that's not right. You had a head start. Well, well, yeah, yeah. you did. But let's start from where we yeah, are exactly. now. Yeah, OK. I'm, I'm with you. On it's, that. It's, it ain't his fault. Good for him. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's probably, he was born. It's probably the way he was born. Well, when people, I think when people acknowledge things, yeah. it's fine. I'm but when yeah. people, and I tend to hang around with a lot of people, and institutionally don't acknowledge things. They'll say, "Well, you know, we we've got to cut down affirmative action plans and so on." So we've got to, yeah. you know, I said, "No, no, no, no." The reason these things are in place is because yeah. they acknowledge that there's this 400 year head start exactly. systemically, yeah. and that's why people. And then, but the people yeah. go, "No, no, well, exactly. we don't need anymore." Yeah. And then, you know, interesting thing too, I get a lot of stuff. You know, people say, "Well, why don't you complain about uh, the there are no white defensive backs?" 
<laughs> in the NFL. I'm like, well, I haven't heard that one. Oh, no, I've I, heard oh, that. I get one. that. I get that a lot, man. I write. I'll, I'll write about things. Complaining but, about it or no white, no white players in yeah. the NBA. I hear yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Trust me, man. I will. I will give you every every time I write a column about. Like a, a racial injustice, uh-huh. or about let's say which is every column, which, which is every column, which is, <laughs> which is a lot. <laughs> man, Jamal, which is a I'm lot. Not, man. There's nothing wrong with that. That's a lot. Well, but no, but the point is, for example, I, I wrote a column. There, there are no black managers in baseball. Mm-hmm. Okay, and I'm like, wow, you know, this is uh, 2015. There are no black managers, no Hispanic managers. So somebody, well, yeah, Roden, why, why don't you write about why there, why where are the white players in the NBA? And I'm like, the problem is that. In the NBA and the NFL, you earn it. I mean, in other words, there, there are no rules that say no white cornerbacks. Or there's no rule that says no uh, white uh, wide receivers or no white, you know. But there were rules that said for a long time there are no black baseball players in Major League Baseball. Yeah. Right? There, there were rules on the book. But when they yeah. turned around and said, well, what about white, uh, what about white cornerbacks? Well, if you were a great cornerback, you're going to play. I mean, there are no rules that says you couldn't you couldn't play. That's why it's about, and that's why in the book um, I try to touch all of us and say, where do we, where is our role in this? Because we have a natural tendency to be defensive mm-hmm. and to snap back with with statements that are illogical, right. kind of like the ones you're talking about. You where, where, where are the white DBs? You know, right. in, in response to what. Right. That's a defensive posture. Right. 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 That is that comes from a defensive posture. That's why they're saying that. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't. Mm-hmm. And, and the proof is in the facts. But that's a defensive posture. And the thing I try to do in the book is uh is again be honest. Start from a place of honesty. You know, I I I have I have some of some some biases too. Mm-hmm. And some of them are are very validated because of experiences that I've had. But as soon as I take that bias because of experience that I've had and project it on you and I don't even know you and treat you a certain way because of experiences that I've had over here, I have to check myself. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Mm. My guest is Benjamin Watson. He's the tight end of the New Orleans Saints. Uh, let me just get to it. So people need to know who we're talking with. This is a person of, 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 of substance and uh uh, you're born December 18th, 1980, yep. in uh, Norfolk, Virginia. Uh, 6'3", 255, tight end. Uh, you went to high school in. Uh, now, tell t- me this: you were born in Virginia. Mm-hmm. But how did you get to? How did you get to South Carolina? How did you get to? Rock, uh, you played at Rock Hill High. Northwestern. Don't Northwestern. ever say Rock Hill. High. Oh, oh <laughs> wait a minute. What, I, it was Rock. It's oh, a Rock, you, Hill, it South Rock Hill, South Carolina. Rock Hill, South Carolina. <laughs> but if anybody's listening from York County, y'all know <laughs> that's a, that's a different high school. Exactly. Like, that's a high school. That's a Robert High School. Yeah. Don't, don't put that on us. Um, so I went to Northwestern High School. Go Trojans. And uh, we, we moved down there in 96. My father uh, worked for a ministry that planted churches. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was working in inner city ministry in Norfolk, Virginia. And so uh, uh, through the ministry, the, uh, there was a, a church in Rock Hill that wanted to plant a church in, in an adjacent neighborhood. And so we moved down there. And when I heard that we were moving to South Carolina, to Rock Hill, South Carolina, mm-hmm. I said, where is Rock Hill, South Carolina? <laughs> you know, I, I do not want to go down there and leave my friends. But mm-hmm. football-wise, it turned out to be a great, a great move because uh, you know, it, it's a small town. You know, 50,000 people. There were only two high schools, two public high schools. The other one was Rock Hill. Uh, <laughs> the one and, you did not go to. Exactly. <laughs> and so it, it was really fun to go down there and play ball. Uh, um, then you, 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 oh, I was like, go ahead. Yeah, then, then, then you went to 
Duke, Duke originally. Yeah, tell me that. Yeah, that's very interesting. The Duke story. University. Um, I came out as being recruited by uh, a few schools, and and Duke was on the list. You know, really good, good education. Um, I got there and wasn't very happy with the football program. We had a new coach come in, and I, I kind of saw myself short on the football end of it. I think uh, I really enjoyed school there, though. Mm. I mean, I enjoyed school. It was challenging. I enjoyed my classmates, but um, I felt like I wanted to do the things that I always wanted to do, as far as you know, have a chance at a bowl game, and right. national championships, and those sorts of things. And so I still root for Duke. You know, I'm glad they're doing well. <laughs> but I ended up leaving and transferring to the University of Georgia. Who, who's the uh, – when I, we got now talking about going from from light to dark. I mean, mm-hmm. I, you went from Duke, which is sort of they, – they, they play football there to wait for the basketball season. Yeah. And then you went to Georgia. Yeah, which is Yeah, which is a complete, total opposite. Yeah. Uh, what what was well, – I, I, I want to ask you about the uh, – the South Carolina experience because you did live in South Carolina. Yeah. I want to talk to you about the, the the massacre there, but I am curious about the culture shock or change when you went from Duke to Georgia. Yeah, what was what was that? What was that uh, like? The, the biggest difference I think was on the field. Clearly, um, it's it's a different. My my dad played in the ACC, so we always have this joke okay. about uh, you know ACC versus SEC and uh, who's better. But going from Duke at that time to Georgia was totally different as far as you know the competition on the practice field you know the mm-hmm. football atmosphere there I mean you're talking about a school that has you know a, a stadium that sees 90,000 people and it's in the SEC and you know it's just this deep football tradition that I didn't have have at Duke um, you know academically I ended up going majoring in finance at Georgia which was you know a good major I enjoyed I enjoyed that but it's just a much bigger school it's just a total different experience than being at a small school I think Duke had around I don't know 12,000 students or something like that did it take you a while to adjust on the field to the uh, to the talent level? Um, you know, it, it. I had to sit out actually the first year. That's right. Because I played my true freshman year at Duke, then I had to sit out. But um, no, it, it, I I, re- I really was excited about going because I knew that you know you always want as an athlete you always want to go somewhere where you feel like you're playing against on pra- in practice you're playing against the best mm. and, and this is where the best guy. So I knew that you know the tight ends they had there, Randy McMichael. Um, was there and he played for 11, 12 years in the mm-hmm. league and so I got a chance to learn from him and compete with him so I really enjoyed it. Mm. What, what was the, getting back to, uh, to to South Carolina and, and the massacre in South Carolina because you, you, you wrote us you wrote an essay about that as well. Yes. Uh, you wrote uh, and, and I just wonder how did mm-hmm. there, there, there are two questions um, how did that affect you I know you, it, it moved you to write uh, but again, what what did you? How did that affect you? Just a as as a, as a black man, also as a professional athlete. Um, mm-hmm. how, how how did those two things uh, affect you? Well, uh, first first as an American, mm-hmm. it was it was uh, disgusting to see. Period. Mm-hmm. You know, no matter what color the people were in there. Um, a, as a Christian and a believer, it was even more disgusting because it happened in a church, yeah. um, which of all places should be you know somewhat of a safe haven. Um, clearly it's not uh, and then as a black man it was obviously you know, with the racial implications uh, of seeing this it brought many you know images of days gone past and all those things and so there was there was a lot um, the, the great thing was I think the the unified outcry against <clears throat> Dylan Roof you know that came from the white community and the black community came from all, all churches um, all denominations there was a lot of um, uh, against him, you know, which was clear. But on the flip side, I think that, um, you know, pointing out this situation, the situation of racism is easy. 
Right. It's harder though to point out racism when you're sitting on your couch and you're talking with your friends. Right. Yeah. You know. Right. And that goes for all of us. Right. And so when we're you know in our living room and we're just saying what we want to say. Um, and things are said that's that, that's kind of harder to to identify as being racist but it's still racist nonetheless you know maybe not as violent but right well you've always been outspoken I've, I've outspoken obviously with the book um with the different essays talking about ferguson how does that play as far as your stature as an athlete mm-hmm. you, you always hear fans saying oh just be quiet and play football. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, shut up and catch the ball. You know, just yeah, shut up. Yeah, you don't yeah, want to yeah, hear. Yeah. Have you heard just, that? You're, you know, you're a mindless drone. Just keep playing. <laughs> yeah, right, right, exactly. You know, right. so how, how do you how do you yeah, feel yeah. about that? How does that affect you? And how does that play into you, you know, continuing to speak out? Yeah, I, I think um, early in my career uh, is a different story than now. Um, you know, it, it's amazing how you mature and how you're more confident in yourself and how uh, how you don't worry as much about what the few will say that's derogatory against you, but you worry more about the many who will benefit from something that you have to say. Um, and so early in my career, I would probably wouldn't have said any of those things. I wouldn't have written any of those things. And if I did, I wouldn't have published it. But even mm. back then, I, Facebook wasn't even that big of a deal early <laughs> in my career. So right. we, didn't, we didn't have the, have the avenues then anyway. Right. But I, but I, my point is I, I wasn't in a place where I was willing to do that. Now, later in my career as a parent, um, as a husband, I understand that you know, if there's something that, that I have to say that is positive and can help people or at least make people think um, in a positive way, uh, it, I should say it, you know, and, and, and I'm going to get some backlash. That happens. Right. You know, if you're not if you're not saying anything, you won't get any backlash ever. And how do you respond to the to the backlash? Usually or I do don't. You, you usually don't. I don't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, usually I don't. Although I want to sometimes, um, but I have a lot of friends that do it for me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's perfect. That's perfect. <laughs> they right. do it for me. But you know, the, the thing is, people are entitled to their opinion. Mm-hmm. They, they are, and 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 the worst one ever is the whole. You know, you're an athlete, so that'd be like, that'd be like me saying, you know, you're you're a whatever, a lawyer, a, you know, you're a broadcaster, whatever you are, to just stick to that. that that's, <laughs> right. that's 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 out of foolishness. You know, right. I, I pay taxes. I I vote. I do all those things. I take my trash out. I I, I, <laughs> change, I, I change my kids' diapers. I'm an American. I have an opinion, like anybody else. How do you separate, though? You know, you're playing in in front of sixty, ninety thousand people, in college at least, and you 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 know you, you're in Georgia, you're in South Carolina. People mm-hmm. are cheering for you, and then it's these same people who, if you speak up or speak out, then all of a sudden. You know, it's a whole different yeah. ball game. Like, how do you how do you balance that in your in your mind? Yeah, that that is uh, one of the hard things. Um, you know, the the fear of any athlete is obviously the the whole. You know, you if I'm doing well, you cheer me. If I'm doing poorly, you call yeah. me names or boo me. <laughs> right. um, and and you want me to be so one dimensional. Um, but but I think that the whole point in speaking out and having athletes who, who speak their mind or at least in an intelligent way, it lets people know that, you know what, we, again, we're educated. You talk about the NFL, this is the most educated people. I mean, everybody went to college. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. So, right. so, so, so we do have some things to say. Hmm. Um, what, I know we just got the, got the go sign. You got to go. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the, you mentioned, uh, and I guess it raises a whole thing about uh, athletes and, 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 uh, you know, you saw the Missouri situation. Yes. You know, and a lot of times people figure your your idea is to be like like Jamal saying, seen you know, seen but not but not heard. 
And I'm just wondering, you know, you were drafted by, by the Patriots, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and you said it, at first you probably wouldn't have done that. How much of that is conditioning? How much of that is conditioning through high school, through college, that you're taught that athlete, you're not really supposed to say anything, that you're not, and, and not just you, because you're, you're, you're different mm-hmm. in a way, but it just seems like it's sort of systemic, that, that mm-hmm. you've got all these brothers playing football, playing basketball, but yet mm-hmm. we're always prodding. You know, why don't you guys speak up? Why don't you guys mm-hmm. say stuff? You know, mm-hmm. why don't you, and what do you, what do you if, if you had to make a general, why do you think that is? You're, you know, 80% yeah. of the NBA, 70% of the NBA. Well, well I'll say first of all, it's, it's not, we assume that because someone has a specific platform, mm-hmm. they have to say something in order for there to be change. Right. And that shifts the responsibility from us as people who don't have a lot of platform as we see it to them who everybody knows. So you say something, you know, we need to look at ourselves and say, what is our sphere of influence? Mm-hmm. Let me not just say, why don't the basketball player son saying something? Why don't I say something to my next door neighbor or the person at work? It's not always these guys responsibility to be, you know, activists. If they want to, then great. If not, they're paid to do a job and, and they're private citizens and they may want to be private about certain things. So so I think we we have to be careful when we always say, you know, if, if these guys will say something, everything would change. Maybe it won't. Maybe it will. Uh, maybe it'll make some people think, but that's not necessarily their job. Mm-hmm. Right. Two, two, two last questions. What do you think about Missouri? I mean, that that's yeah. sort of what we've been talking about yes. the last couple of weeks. What, what do you I think? I came about into it a little bit on the tail end, mm-hmm. just because of football. Um, but it started to gain steam, and the first thing I really experienced with it, the first thing I saw was the picture of the entire football team, including the coaches, standing mm-hmm. in solidarity against these uh, these acts that had happened on campus. Um, I guess that had been building for some time there, and so you know, I I, I applaud them for for really for for guys who. It may not have affected standing up for guys who it did. You know, it'd be one thing if it was just the black players, mm-hmm. um, but to me, and because of my relationships that I have in the locker room, seeing guys who weren't black who you know decided to say, you know what, we're standing with the student body as well as the black players, even though I'm not black and I may not experience understand everything that's going on, I do see that there needs to be change in this. Mm. So my guest has been Benjamin Watson. Uh, the great tight end from New Orleans Saints. Uh, what about the Saints, man? Are you guys in just for all of our people who are yeah Saints kinda, fans. Yeah, yeah. We we, our executive director of the New York Times, by the way. Oh yeah. The executive editor of the New York Times, Dean Becay, is from New Orleans. Oh, he's baby. a huge, huge New Orleans Saints fan. So well, he's I, been we, going. We he's been going up and down with us because last week was rough for us. I knew I had to come out here this week, and then you know for that to happen last week in Washington. Oh, I do not even want to leave. I wanted to stay here and practice all week and get this thing together. But, you know, it's the bye week. We've got to have some time off. But um, it's been a struggle this year. We started off rough. We kind of caught our stride a little bit. But, you know, the great thing in the NFL is that there's always another week. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you come back. You have to be able to wipe the slate clean, whether it's a victory or whether it's a loss. Um, we know that a lot of things have to be better for us to win consistently. Um, so the hope is moving forward we get those things together. Right. Uh, the book is Under Our Skin. The author yes. is Benjamin Watson. Benjamin Watson. Yes. And uh, listen, man, it's, it's, a, it's, it's just a tremendous effort. And it's really, really, really necessary. It's Thank really you. necessary. Um, you, you, you tackle racism head on. 
and uh, with the shoulder, the shoulder. yeah, with the sh- shoulder <laughs> on, uh, head on, head on. <laughs> exactly. Uh, you you you, you uh, tackle racism head on, and uh, man, I really appreciate you being here, and I appreciate the thank effort you. and the conversation. Thank you, man. and the thank family, by the way. Yeah. Yes. yes. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you for having me. Thank, thank you, you so much, man. Best of luck. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube you know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks that's what our podcast people are the worst brings you with each episode i'm rachel And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.